fell right down that rabbit hole So reality is questionable Try but you just can't let it go These two right here put on the show It's paranormal overload with southern hospitality Hard that murder mayhem tip while discussing immortality Locations with a dark past History that comes to life Hillbillies with a knack for Everything that goes bump at night Overthinking if you're by yourself These two will have you turning on the lights Mixing in a little comedy to make sure it all fits in just right hey. Welcome to Hillbilly Horror Story Now here's your host Jerry and Tracy Hall Heather Dog's Ninja Tracy, we are so excited for our upcoming live event in Indianapolis with Tragedy of Cinema and Middle-Aged and Creeped Out. Yes, we're looking forward to seeing all of you. I'm Todd. I'm Nate. And I'm Sean. And we are Middle-Aged and Creeped Out. We are looking forward to sharing some creepy stories with all of our hometown listeners. I'm Jimbo with the Tragedy of Cinema. And I'm Kyle, also with Tragedy of Cinema. Indy is also our hometown, and we have the perfect horror movie to break down for you guys. Come out and see us on Saturday, July 16th at the VFW on South Lockburn and help veterans at the same time. All three shows are clean, so this is a family-friendly event. Tickets are just $20. Seating is limited, so get your tickets now at hillbillyhorrorstories.com. Hey guys, welcome to episode 303 of Hillbilly Horror Stories. I'm Jerry. And I'm Tracy. Tracy, it's going to be a fun episode tonight and... I've got a special interview with Connie Koenig. Mm-hmm. She does a little bit of everything. She's a hypnotherapist. She does paranormal investigating. She's got like a uh, spiritual center to talk about where they train people. She's a medium. Dang, girl. And so she helps people that have all these different dilemmas where they don't know how to handle some of this stuff. Well, good for her. And she's got some really cool stories, and we're going to learn all about that oh, later on. Oh, sounds great. Obviously, we want to thank all of our allied military and civil servants all over the world, no matter which country you represent. Thank you so much for everything you guys do for us. Thank you, guys. We love y'all so much. Continued prayers. Thank you for having our backs. Yes, absolutely. Thanks for having our backs. Also, we want to talk about, uh, and we're going to get into some sad stuff here in a little bit, but uh, it's just another one of those examples of sometimes you get some news that can put you in a really bad state and uh, make you really value the things around you and um, make you feel sad at the same time. And if you're one of those people that have gotten some bad news recently or you're just struggling for whatever the reasons are, we just want you to know that you can reach out to us and we'll be more than happy to talk you through as much as we possibly can, lend an ear. Sometimes that's all people just want to talk. And uh, if you need to talk to somebody, we're lending a hand, lending a couple of ears. And we'll lend the group out with their 5,500 members. Trust me, there is somebody in there at any time, night or day, that is willing to talk to you and, and encourage you in your time of need. That's very true. Um, give us a you know call anytime you all want. If you would rather call the 800 number, it's 273-8255. You can also text them at 741-741. We love you guys, and we are here for you. Please reach out. I guess... Since we're recording this just shortly after we found out, we just wanted to pass our condolences along to Phil Holmes's family. 
especially his son and daughter Gabriel and Megan. We just found out today that Phil passed away about a month ago. A month ago today, matter of fact. Like I said, obviously Phil's been on the show a bunch of times. We've been on his show a couple of times. And um, it was just really sad news to, to find out. Uh, Phil and I hadn't been really close in the last couple of years, but I still kept up with what he was doing. I know he kind of kept up with what we were doing. And uh, like I said, it's sad to hear that somebody that, um, that had meant so much to us, uh, especially in the early parts of us starting and was instrumental in, in trying to help get the word mm-hmm. out about us. Yes, he was. And that um, It's sad to hear of his passing. He was almost 50 years old. He was two days yep. from his birthday. Uh, Yeah, I'm still kind of trying to process it. I hate to hear that he passed away. He was always funny when we talked. And, you know, of course, I loved his accent and everything like that. And I don't even know what to say. It's just bothering me. It's really bothering me, like really bad. And I didn't know Jerry was going to bring that up at that point. But, you know, uh, you guys just keep his family in your prayers and thoughts. And, you know, I, I just can't believe it's already been a month and we just found out about it. But all I can say is, Phil, I hope you're happy where you're at. And I know you're happy to see your mom. And we love you. And we have to go because I'm going to cry. I agree with those sentiments exactly. So, yeah, it's um, it's like I said, a lot of people know that, that Phil and I kind of had some differences, but that doesn't that doesn't change things when something like this happens. It kind of actually puts things, I guess, more in perspective. Yeah, and it's, it's so weird because, what, last week I just had asked you, I think, mm-hmm. have you seen anything or heard anything from Phil? You know, we had no idea at all, so. Yeah, unfortunately, Phil had me blocked from <laughs> most of his social media. Oh, did he? So I didn't yeah. necessarily, wasn't able to, to see a lot of that stuff. But like I said, this is not a... A day to talk about negatives. Not at all. It's a day to, and as I said on my Facebook post, I'll I'll prefer to uh, choose more to think about the all the good times we had, and there were plenty of those. Oh yeah, we had lots of good times, and his son Gabriel was just an awesome kid, and you know we're thinking about him for sure, and he's a sweetheart. So, <sighs> and unfor- I don't know any details about what happened. They just no, the, the I don't news know release just said that it was unexpected. Yeah. Because you know he had had those health issues and stuff, so, you know, I'm not sure if it came from that or what, but rest in peace, Phil. You will be missed. Yeah, I'll probably um, dig through and put together a little tribute episode or something. But oh, that would be nice. Yeah, that I would be really find nice. Where, I know he was, It's. I just went through when we were going through all this change with the new mm-hmm. uh, hosting company and going through, and I just actually listened to a little bit of the... Uh, he was on the Tower of London episode. Yes. And talking about it. And then he was on the Winchester Mystery episode. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That was the first time. He was the first guest, big name guest that we ever interviewed. On yep, the show. he was. You're exactly right. So we love you, Phil. And just rest easy, buddy. All right, Trace. We've done a few haunted roads in the past. We have done some haunted roads for yes. sure. But and it's so funny you just said that, honestly. Sorry. I was just on, when I was on the uh, Yahoo, I was just looking, and it has had uh, Kentucky's most haunted, one of Kentucky's most haunted roads. It was on the Kenton County line, I think. 
And it's like right before we started, I didn't really read into it. Is that it. the one that's in Erlanger, I wonder? Probably so. There's a policeman at Hanset Road. Oh, okay. So I was going to take a look at that um, later and see what that was about. And if we'd done it, I don't know. You know, there's Hanset Roads everywhere. We haven't so. done the story on that one. But, okay. But I know that's it because I remember years ago, probably 16, 17 years ago, it was right, uh, right before my mother passed away. Oh, really? I had a job where I had to stay by myself a lot of times. I traveled a lot and one of my places were in Erlanger. And I happened to look up haunted places. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the roads up oh, there. Okay. And it's supposed to be a policeman that will... Basically pull you over, and then when you pull over, there's no way there. Oh, whoa. So that's part of it. Well, that's scary enough just to be pulled over by a real policeman, much less a ghost. Anyway, this road here, we've definitely not done one like Jack Cole Road in Hayden, Alabama. Okay. First of all, it's a little small town. Mm Mm-hmm. But it's also an unpaved dirt road, and it's only about half a mile long. Lived on many of those. <laughs> yeah, I know you did. <laughs> so what's so special about this road? Well, what about a mummified witch, a fruit farmer that was murdered with an axe, some hangings, a hospital that seemingly vanished, and oh yeah, 68 deaths or so. Like the whole entire hospital vanished? Yes, we'll get into that. Oh, dang. Have I piqued your interest at least? Oh, uh, yeah. So let's talk details. Jack Cole Road, like I said, is a dirt road that goes into some very dense woods. It runs right off of Highway 7, which is the main highway right there. So we're going to first try to answer your question about the hospital. The hospital was supposedly built in 1890 by Blunt County, uh, and it was supposed to be right along Jack Cole Road. Ten years later, in 1900, there was a huge cholera outbreak. And the story goes that 60 patients succumbed to the to the disease and they died in that hospital. That's very sad. And, and no, a, I don't know what that is. What? Cholera. I can't remember exactly what it affected, but it was just like all the other diseases back then. Yeah, you know, you had there's something terrible. And you had cholera right. and you had, you know, all the other diseases, mm-hmm. uh, typhoid. And there was all these different illnesses that just didn't have cures for back right. then. I think cholera, if I remember correctly, is caused... In the water. I think it's like bad water. Do you know how to spell it? Yeah, I do. C-H-O-L-E-R-A. So while you look that up, I will say that it's rumored that several of those patients now haunt that area. And I'm not sure if they were buried all in separate places or if a lot of them were buried right there in the area. Because, you know, a lot of times with those diseases, they didn't go too far from where the person died to bury them Mm -hmm. because they wanted to make sure... You know, that they didn't have any kind of issues. So, right. that's the that's the main thing when it comes to that. Um, yeah, I guess, I mean, it has to be something quick. It has to be done. Right. So, cholera is an infectious and often fatal bacterial disease of the small intestine, typically contracted from infected water supplies and causing severe vomiting and diarrhea. So, you can imagine back in the 1800s, 1900s, even before that, it, it, you know, before the water treatment facilities and oh, stuff gosh, were really yes. a thing, yes. that you could imagine how that would be mm. a major issue. Right. And, yeah. and for years, they didn't, they didn't realize that's what was causing it. So people didn't even know to stay away from the water, the boil water, or whatever the deal was. You know, and I know, and I'm just sitting here thinking how we 
Well, like grandma and them always had well water. Ew, now that I think about that, we would drink that. That is just gross. Like they would literally take their bucket, dip it down in the well, and we had that was our water to drink. And who only knows what there was in that crap? No talents. Oh, sorry. <laughs> That's gross. So here's the more confusing part. There's all the deaths, right? But not only is there no hospital there right now, which that's really not that, you know, that's understandable. I mean, this thing was built in 1890. Oh, like, yeah, yeah, so, I mean, it's been that long. You wouldn't necessarily expect there to be a hospital there. But there are no signs that there ever was a hospital there. There's no abandoned buildings. There's no um, foundations. Nothing there that would show that there was a hospital. So, if there wasn't a hospital there at one point, how did all these stories start up about the hospital and, and the victims. Nobody hmm. really knows. And I'm sure there's got to be a way to be able to look back the records and prove if there was a hospital and these stories are there. And from everything that I saw, everybody says there was a hospital there at one time. There's just no physical maybe, proof of it right now. Oh, maybe they buried it underground. I'll pretend you didn't say that. Well, I'm just telling you, there's a store over by mom and dad's. That's what they did. It was a big, huge store. They... They bulldozed it down, and they buried it underneath the ground it stood on. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. But they bulldozed it down. Oh, they yeah. They just buried them. I sort of say there'd be like a mountain there where it's trying no, to cover no. the hospital. Oh, no. I mean, I, of course, I'm sure the hospital was way too big for that. But, <laughs> hey, it's just a thought, man. There are a few old houses there that have been abandoned on that stretch of road. And there's some people who live there. There's not a ton of people. Like I said, it's a half-mile road. So let's jump to the early 1900s. Some hunters come across a cabin in the woods. They decided to check it out, see what was going on. They go inside and they find the mummified remains of a woman. Wow. As you would imagine, this was an unusual uh, situation. And things like this didn't happen in a small town so this led locals to speculate that the woman found was probably a witch she's living all alone out mm -hmm. in this cabin nobody knew who she was nobody knew how long she'd lived there or how long she had been dead so nobody should light a candle in there because she might come back to life probably so locals believe that she may be the one responsible for all the strange happenings on jack cole road because we'll get into this near the end of the show but there had been sightings and weird light anomalies and everything mm -hmm. from even before the hospital was built in the 1890s. Mm -hmm. And this was in the early 1900s, so this had right. been a little bit longer than that. Now, of course, we have um, more deaths that we're going to talk about. Because I told you there was 68. Mm -hmm. And there was only 60 at the hospital, and then there was that lady. Oh. So we got more. Yeah, Okay. We're going to talk about a local fruit farmer that was murdered. He was lived at the very end of the road. It was a gruesome murder, and it was committed using an axe. Jeez. Now, up to this point, that small town of Hayden had never really experienced a death that was violent like that. I mean, it's a little small town. Well, yeah. And we're going to talk more about that a little bit in a little more detail. In 2003... There was a famous civil rights photographer. He lived on Jack Cole Road and was doing some work on a project. Mm -hmm. He claimed that he saw some very strange things in his house. And then a few days later, he was found dead in his home. I didn't get any details as to what actually happened. I've seen some reports that said it was a suicide. 
And I've seen reports that just said he was just found dead and they didn't really know what the cause of death was. And But there's another story we're going to talk about in a little bit that was amazingly similar. And I think that might be, some people may be confusing both of the stories together, kind of merging both of them together. Right. I saw this reported on a few different articles, but I never could actually find the name of this. It was just listed as a well-known civil rights photographer in almost every one, but you would think somebody well-known. Well, happened. they could put a name to name, it. But I didn't see that anywhere. Well, that's kind of weird. The next story, though, is very well documented. In 2015, a 52-year-old woman by the name of Lisa Weaver disappeared. This isn't your normal disappearance. First of all, Lisa was disabled. She had COPD very bad, and she Mm -hmm. had several oxygen tanks in the house, and she literally could do nothing on her own. She had to have help to go, even to walk to the kitchen to get a drink. So young for to be going through all that. Right. Now, she lived in a house right there on Jack Coe's Road. On February 5th of 2015, her house caught on fire and completely burned to the ground. When the firefighters searched the property, they found the charred remains of her three dogs, but no Lisa Weaver. What? And they really don't know what started the fire. Now, some people would say, oh, well, there was like oxygen, the oxygen tanks. Yeah. But there were no exploding oxygen tanks. Not even through the fire. You're kidding. No. So that was not the problem. Now, she had been unable to leave the house on her own. So there was no way she could have escaped the fire if she had been in the house. Now, as far as her family knows, there was no one with her. And she had just texted her son moments before the fire started was having a conversation with him. Oh, poor doggies. So it was unlikely that she was taken from the house. But she's never been found. Ever. She's never been found. That was seven years ago. And that's by far the most famous case that's come, because that actually made headline news. There's been a lot of uh, uh, podcasts and stuff that that cover true crime that have tried to figure out what's, what's going on there. So, very strange situation. Now, there have also been multiple sightings of werewolves or dogmen in the area since the early 1940s. I don't have any specifics, but I just mm-hmm. had something that people have seen. Witnesses have reported seeing strange lights in the woods. These lights move, they zigzag, they dart through the trees and through the thick brush back there. People have witnessed ghostly-like figures walking up and down the road and even hiding amongst the trees. These stories started way back in the late 1800s, like I said. Back during this time, there would be reports of men even shooting at some of these things. And you can imagine this because they would come through there on horseback or on a carriage and they see these strange lights or they see ghosts walking up and down the road. You might take a shot. You probably have a gun on you in this day, day and age. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. They would shoot at whatever the target was that they saw. They would walk up on it, and there would never be anything there. Now, we mentioned the mummified remains of the uh, the woman in the cabin. Since they weren't really sure how long she had been dead, it was easy to blame her for everything that was happening for the last 50 years. She could have been there for 50 years for what people assumed. Uh-huh. Eventually, her cabin was burned down. I'm assuming by 
probably locals who With her thought in that it? would take her to... No. I didn't just leave the mummified body and they took it out. Well, who knows? Oddly enough, though, all the sightings maybe actually... They shouldn't, maybe they thought they shouldn't disturb it. I mean... I don't think that's the case. Everything I saw basically didn't say she was... Didn't say specifically, but I'm sure they took her out. Okay. Anyway. Oddly enough, the sightings actually increased after her body was found. See, they should have left her alone. Now, we mentioned the axe murder in the 1960s. The man who was killed was by the name of Mr. Hall. I didn't see a first name. He was found outside of his chicken coop. There was an African-American man that was arrested and convicted for the murder. And he spent the rest of his life in jail. He actually died. He wasn't executed. He just died on his own. Even though most people do not believe that he was actually the one who committed the crime, they feel like that he was an easy scapegoat and he was an innocent man. Oh, well, that's terrible. So, that's kind of what, you know, people feel like that he may be one of the spirits that are are hanging around. Well, that's a terrible thing to do to him. And we mentioned the civil rights leader that was found dead a few days after witnessing witnessing some strange occurrences in his house, right? Mm Mm-hmm. The first unusual death, though, that ever happened on that road, because we're not going to count the cholera victims. That's not an unusual death. Okay, you're right. But the first unusual death to happen was in the early 1900s, and it was very similar to the same situation. One of the residents claimed that he had seen some strange things in his house and even a um, strange creature in the woods. He hung himself in his home a few days later. And that's why I said I think some people get that story mixed up with the civil rights leader. Mm -hmm. Both of them claimed to see strange things in their house. Both of them ended up dead a couple of days later. And to top the story off, which is actually a fitting end to this, Easter Sunday, 2020, two years ago, a giant sinkhole appeared where Jack Hole Road meets the main road, that Highway 7, I guess, and it makes the road completely impassable. So now you can't even you turn. You can't get back You to can't it. even turn on the road with your car. Wow. Now, one, what's caused that, then? I don't know. But wow. How about that, that for so a lot of stuff to happen interesting. on one road? Yes. Not tons of it is provable, but... <laughs> well, that's very true, but then this big old sinkhole? Yes. Well, it's probably a blessing, the it's, big sinkhole. Well, I mean, I've, there are people who still live on that road. I wonder how they get in and out. Well, I mean, I'm sure they'll, yell. I mean, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I don't know. Well... That's the only way out. That's not a blessing for them, but still. No. So many terrible things happened on that road. But I don't think there's a whole lot of people living. There's a lot of vacant houses mm-hmm. and stuff like that, So, but I don't know. Well, I sure wouldn't want to live on that road. <laughs> so. well, that's pretty cool. All right, Tracy, we're going to take a quick sponsor break, and then uh, we will be back. We don't have, because we're recording this early, because we're going to Gatlinburg. Mm-hmm. We don't have uh, any new Patreons or any new uh, iTunes reviews at this moment. It's like Wednesday. Hint, hint. So, hint, yeah. hint. <laughs> but uh, if there's any that come in between now and, and uh, Sunday, we'll put that on next week's episode. Yeah. But I did want to say, real quick, we do have the live event coming up Saturday, July 16th, Indianapolis. And that will include Tragedy of Cinema. Mm-hmm. With James and Kyle, they'll be there, and uh, 
Todd, Sean, and Nate from Middle-Aged and Creep Out. They will be there. Exciting. We're excited. It's going to be at a VFW post. It only seats 60 people. We like to do these events there because the money goes to help a good cause. Yes, absolutely. You know, not the money for the tickets. I don't want to misrepresent that. I just mean... And we usually do get a little, give extra to those guys, but the hall rental money goes to help out uh-huh. those places, and they they struggle with with not a lot of new members these these days. So that's why we choose to do a lot of these events at VFW's mm-hmm. American Legion. We love it there. We love to do them there. They're so nice. Yes, they appreciate it. They do. They're very appreciative. But uh, go get your tickets. Hillbillyhorrorstories.com. Like I said, we already sold some. There's only sixty maximum that we can fit there. Uh, it's going to be fun. Yeah, it's going to be great. Hope to see you all there. We will have our new food products there. We're trying to, um, <laughs> we've got a bunch of barbecue sauces and jams and jellies, that type of stuff. Salsas, salad dressings. We've got all this stuff and I'm still trying to find ways to ship it. So I know a lot of you saw the Facebook post. I'll eventually, once I can find a cheap way to ship it, uh, we'll start selling it. But as of right now, it's expensive to ship and I'm not trying to pass those prices along to you guys so it may just end up being something that we do at these live events and stuff so who knows but yeah we're checking it out still we're kind of new at this yeah so. i shipped something out today a, a jar of uh, apple butter and it cost ten dollars to ship it <laughs> so it was it's like eight dollars a jar and then ten dollars to ship so that's not really a good business model so yeah i'm not trying to do that to people so we'll find out but Anyways, we're going to listen real quick to Connie Koenig. I think you guys are going to like this. She's uh, definitely a cool chick. Hey, guys, I'm excited to have this next guest on. And this all came together really quick. I've got Connie Koenig on. First of all, thanks for coming on, Connie. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here. I don't even know where to start with you because you have so many different hats that you wear. That and I'm and and I'm curious about all of them. First of all, you're a paranormal investigator. We've all heard that. Blah 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 blah. We'll talk about that later. But that's not the most exciting thing with you. You are a hypnotherapist, which I don't believe we've actually had a hypnotherapist on. So I want to talk about some of that. Okay. But you are all also a. Correct me if I'm wrong, because I probably screwed up the pronunciation. Is it a shamanist apprentice? Shamanic apprentice. So I'm in training to be a shaman. So that's pretty much what that means. I'm not a full-fledged shaman. So I am a shamanic apprentice. Well, let's get into that real quick, because we obviously have heard the term uh, shaman a lot. And a lot of times it involves uh, Native Americans. It comes up a lot, but it's on other other aspects and other uh, cultures that use shaman. Give me an idea of what the difference is between, say, a shaman and maybe a different type of, uh, of a religious, I would say, standout in, in the community or something. What's the difference between a shaman and, say, a minister or a priest or a witch or any of the other cases? Or is there a big difference? So a shaman, you know, a lot of times we associate, like you said, a shaman with somebody who is Native American. There are different lineages um, as far as shamanism, shamanism goes. The one that I study is Peruvian. It's an Incan Peruvian shamanism. It's from the Caro people in Peru and the Andes. And it's basically like a medicine man or medicine woman. So 
Um, there's a lot of healing that's involved. They're healers. They work in the shadows. We do a lot of different techniques. Some of them, you know, involve psychic work, mediumship work, things along those lines, but it's, it's at a different level. Um, I was already a psychic medium and the shamanism has just amplified things, given me different techniques, given me a different tool set, but it's very different, you know, from like a priest or a minister or something along those lines. We work very closely with the elements. We work very, you know, uh, it's very rooted in ceremony. Ceremony is a huge, huge, huge part of it. And, you know, we do full moon ceremonies and new moon ceremonies and the Caro people that are in Peru, their whole life is about ceremony. Everything that they do, the you know, food preparation, everything that they do is very deeply rooted in ceremony. And, you know, over here in the West, we can't really do that. So we are allowed to do, um, you know, what they have approved for us to do. They approve the teachings that were brought to the West. So it's not like this is some sort of thing where, um, you know, somebody has just taken something out of their culture and said, hey, let me just share this with the West. This was very much approved. And so um, we were asked to wear all black and that's actually a form of protection. And we do a lot of different protection rituals. And it's something that we have to do because we very much work in the shadows. Um, I do things like soul retrievals and, you know, that, that's a huge, huge thing. Um, we all lose pieces of our souls at different points in our lives during trauma. And it, it's been a very healing journey for me. So not only have I been learning how to integrate these techniques into my life so that I can use it to help others, but it's been very healing for me as well. We do depossessions. That's what they're called, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's demonic, but we are definitely trained in, in how to do things like that. House clearings and blessings. So you see how a lot of this can tie in with the paranormal realm. You know, if I go and I do an investigation, if there's some sort of an issue, if there's something in the home that needs to go, um, energy clearing, removing stagnant energy from the body, there's different types of energy that can get stuck in the body. There's liquid energy. There's uh, things that we can see, maybe hooks or something that's more solid. We call them worms, but they're not actual worms, but we can easily remove these things from the body. So this is, this is probably the highest level of all encompassing spirituality for me. Uh, that, that's the best way that I can explain it. it. It's a, it's very much a lifestyle and, you know, I can't live my life in ceremony. Um, I think that's an absolutely beautiful thing. That's just not something that we can do over here in the West. But for me, it's very much part of my daily practice. I integrate it into my life as much as possible. Uh, the other things that I do like hypnotherapy and, and healing and things like that, that still has shamanic elements in it for me now. I, I do things for protection. 
I can, you know, if I have a hypnotherapy client and I see that they would benefit from a different technique, then I'm going to use that technique. I was trained in hypnotherapy on spirit release and things like that. And I was trained as a medium in spirit release. And now as a shamanic apprentice, I'm trained in spirit release, but it's very, 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 very different. Um, it's a beautiful thing. And it's interesting because I have felt as I have gone on this shamanic journey that it's more of a remembering the things that I'm learning. It's like, I'm remembering them and not necessarily learning them. And I believe I must've had a past life as a medicine man. And when I had my Reiki attunement, if you know what Reiki is, most people do, it's a form of mm -hmm. energy healing. I got my, my Reiki attunements. And one of the things that we did in the attunement is we got to see a past life where we were, where we were healers because we were all healers. If you're drawn to this path in this life, this is generally not going to be your first go around at being a healer. And I went back and I was some sort of a shaman in a past life. And so this is kind of like remembering it's, it's reawakening these things within me. And I'm just absolutely thrilled to be on this path. And my training is coming to an end. Um, but it's been nothing short of transformational for me. I've taken so many classes and workshops and things throughout my life, but this, you know, this really has been all encompassing and has given me, you know, what, what I felt that I needed, what I was lacking in my life. I was on this, <clears throat> excuse me, I was on this quest, you know, to, to keep learning and, and to find what it was that I was missing. And so this was definitely it. What was it about the, the Incan of the Peruvian style that really drew you to that one as opposed to maybe another type of shamanism? So I will be completely honest. Um, I did not explore other lineages. This kind of fell into my lap. And that's how things have happened to me in my life. Things have just fallen into my lap and they have felt right. So when what I had stopped investigating for a long time, for example, I had, I had stopped the investigations and then things started happening. And I said to myself, okay, I need to get back on a team. I need to get back into this. And it came to me. It, it came to me a thousand percent. When I decided to become a hypnotherapist, as soon as I had the thought, something triggered that thought, I just knew I was, I said, okay. And I saw the school that was in my area. And as soon as I saw the school, I said, okay, that's it. The same thing happened. A very good friend of mine. She's also my business partner, Barbara Bolness. She and I have gone through so many different workshops and trainings and psychic mediumship development together. And she is the one that found this shamanic lineage and she was telling me about it. And right away I said, okay, I need to do that. Like 30 seconds in, this is what I need to do. I just knew. So I didn't explore any other lineages. I'm sure that they are all similar in a lot of ways with some of the things that they do, but 
there are so many different techniques. There's so many different things that are done. It may be done in a different way, um, but everything that I'm doing now resonates. It very much resonates. And so I'm not questioning, you know, I, I haven't questioned other lineages. Like, what are they about? I'm sure I will, you know, I'd like to learn and see what the differences are, but for me, I just knew right off the bat that this was this was the one. It comes from you know the Star Nations, um, which is very very interesting. But they're angelic downloads, is what they are. So the angelic downloads, you know, they they come in and they give you the knowledge and protection and abilities, if you will. It it allows you to be able to perform different techniques, to tune into different things, to be able to help other people. And it's very much what this is about is helping other people. Let's talk about the hypnotherapy. Okay. When you decided to go to school for this, what was the main reason for deciding to go into hypnotherapy? How was that going to benefit you or, or did you just want to do it because, Hey, I thought it would be cool to have, or did you have a purpose for going into it as in, Hey, it will help me in these different aspects of what I'm already doing. Interestingly, I was on Facebook and I was at a point in my life where I didn't know what I was doing. And I had worked in the corporate world and I absolutely hated it. And I felt like it just was not for me. So I was on this search of something that I could do. And I had always said I wanted to talk for a living. And I was on Facebook. I was following this guy and he was very much into meditation and metaphysics. And I had taken a course from him and I enjoyed the course. And then I saw where he posted something on Facebook about I'm a hypnotherapist and maybe you didn't know that, but I do a lot of past life regressions. And if you want to do that, I will offer a weekend's worth of training in Santa Barbara. It's $4,000 and it's in two weeks. And immediately I was like, whoa, I want to do that. I'd known about hypnotherapy, but it just wasn't something that I had really thought about. And as soon as I saw it, I said, okay, this is what I need to do. Well, I could not go to Santa Barbara and it was, it was a lot of money at the time. And I just said, okay, well, there has to be something closer by. And I happened to find one of the top schools in the country was in my area. And nice. as soon as I saw this and, and, <laughs> and it was nine months long, not a weekend's worth of training. So, you know, when I saw that, I kind of lost faith in the other guy a little bit. I was like, okay, well, if this is nine months, versus a weekend's worth of training, there may be something wrong here. So I knew right away that this was the path that I needed to go on. So I signed up right away and I was in school maybe two or three months later. That was very transformational. That was very healing for me. And that, that opened up a lot for me. And that was in, I started in 2014. So it's been a while. <laughs> When I think about it, I'm like, wow, it's been a while, but I do past life regressions. I've regressed people back to alien abductions. I have done, you know, of course the smoking and the weight loss, the bad habits and the anger issues. And 
all of those things, but I really, really like the past life work, the past life regressions. Those are really, really transformational. And I've had past life regressions of my own and they're always crazy. (laughs) I have the craziest stories, um, far crazier than any of the people that I've worked with. And um, that that seems very fitting uh, for whatever reason, but I've had a past life where I was in a circus freak show and I had a tail. I was a monkey girl. That's what they used to call me. And the man, this man was keeping me. He was my keeper. And I think maybe he had either taken me from my family or he may have purchased me. And he kept me very isolated. He kept me in a cage when I was very, very small. And then, and he abused me. And then as I got older, um, he stopped keeping me in the cage because I was very dependent on him. And it got to the point where I was maybe in my early 20s and I was standing over him while he was sleeping and I had a knife in my hand and I was going to kill him. And then I realized, okay, if I kill him, what good is that going to do? I can't read. I can't write. I have no family. I have no friends. Um, it's like I was the freak of the freak show. And at that point, I went into this medicine tent and I saw all of these bottles and I can still see them, the thick glass, the greens and the browns. And I couldn't read, so I didn't know what poison looked like, but I decided that I was going to poison myself. So I'm smelling things and tasting things. And finally, I drank the poison. And what's very interesting about that session, this happened when I was in hypnotherapy school and I had lost my voice. And I was very, very, I I was like barely whispering When I drank the poison, I could feel my throat kind of locking up. And the hypnotherapist that I was working with, I had one of the instructors, she she was assisting with this session. And she she said something like, okay, your throat is opening up. See your throat opening up. And my throat opened up and I said some things that were very, very important. I don't remember what they were. (laughs) They were important at the time, but I was able to speak clearly and my voice was back. When I was done saying what I needed to say, it went away again. My voice was just gone. So it was really, really cool um, how that happened. And it, it shows you that if your body can take something away, it it can, I'm sorry, if your body can create something, your body can take something away, your body can create pain, your body can take away pain. Um, And it was just amazing that my voice had gone away and my body was able to allow it to come back so that I could be heard with what it was that I needed to be said. And then it went back, you know, I guess it needed to heal for whatever reason, but it was really, really interesting. And I've had so many experiences like that with my own past life regressions and and things like that. So I always tell people, whatever comes up, comes up and believe me, I can handle it. So don't worry about it. I've killed a lot of people in my past lives. We've all done things. We've all killed people, but we have also all been victims. And 
so I, I have seen a lot where I was on the giving end and not a lot on the receiving end. And I'm not sure why I haven't done a past life regression in a long time. And I'm curious if I have one now, what that's going to be like, because things come up at different times in your life, because that's what you need to see. So that's what I needed to see. And it wasn't about, okay, I needed to see that I was hurting other people, but there were lessons involved that I needed to see because it's not for tourism. It's not just, oh yeah, you killed a bunch of people. Have a great day. (laughs) (laughs) It's, you know, there's healing involved and why is this coming up and, and what are the lessons? What was the theme of that life? Um, what are some patterns that you're seeing now? And of course the patterns that I was seeing had nothing to do with me killing people, but it, it, you know, may have had to do with feeling trapped or self-worth or, um, not doing what I needed to do for myself, not standing on my own two feet and things like that. And so it was very important for me to see these things. And there was, there was another one. I was this hun that's the only way I can describe it. And, and I was not wanting to be this vicious leader, but I was, I was groomed for this from a very, very young age and I didn't want it. I didn't want to hurt people, but I had no choice. This was my path and this is what I had to do. And I would conquer these villages and, and, um, I was really, really brutal, but it was because I had to be and not because I wanted to be. And at the very end of the life, my own people had turned on me to overthrow me and they were torturing me and they were killing me. And I had a sense of relief because I was like, okay, now it's done. I don't have to do this to people anymore. And it, it was, it was sad. You know, it was sad because I wasn't in control of my life. This was something that I had to do, but I very much did not want to do it. So I've had a lot of interesting past lives and that by far is my favorite thing to do. I've, like I said, I've done the alien abductions and that's super, super interesting. A lot of times people have the same stories to tell and, you know, there's, there's similar components in it and it's not trauma based, you know, people aren't coming to me and they're saying, you know, I went through this trauma and I don't know what it was and I want to see what it was. They know the people that come to me, they know that they've been abducted and sometimes they want to see more information about it. They want to see the first time that it happened. Um, You know, they, they wanted to get more information behind what was going on, but nobody has, has been traumatized while recalling the experience. And it's kind of like they, they just accepted what was going on and they just wanted to know more about it. So that aliens, in all honesty, that's the one thing I've not had. I've seen some stuff, like I've seen some things in the sky that were questionable, but I have not had a huge experience with that. And that scares me. Um, and it, it, we tend to fear what we don't understand. You know, that, that's why so many people fear the paranormal or they fear death because they don't understand it. But, you know, aliens, that's not something that I know a whole lot about. Um, I had my first experience Saturday night where I saw a Bigfoot. 
I've never had that experience before. And that was like shocking. <laughs> that was now, shocking. I want to talk about the Bigfoot because I saw you post that on, on Facebook. So that was one of the things that caught my attention. I want to talk about the alien thing real quick before we get off sure. the subject. Now, when it comes to hypnosis and past life uh, regressions and aliens, those two things, there's a lot of skepticism, obviously, out there from from people that say, okay, you know, there have been hypnosis sessions in the past with, uh, I can't remember all the details. There was like a, a child that swore that his grandfather took him to satanic rituals and he witnessed all these things. And in reality, none of those things ever really happened. Um, so there are people that'll say sometimes hypnosis sessions will bring things out that maybe the person believes happened, but really didn't happen. And there's physical proof that those things didn't happen, such as timelines and stuff like that. For now, sure. like with the, the Betty and Barney Hill deal, they were uh, subject to hypnosis sessions about their situation. And the uh, couple of the officers from uh, the Rendlesham Forest uh, deal over in, in Great Britain. And I know all four of those things were kind of brought up to speculation on how true they could be based on the, the uh, just like a lie detector test. Some people will say, hey, they're, they're pretty valuable, but you can't 100% depend on them. And some people look at, at hypnosis the same way. Do you feel like that all trans or, 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 or uh, um, past life regressions are 100% true? Or do you think some of them can just be figments of a person's imagination? I definitely do not believe that they are all true. It doesn't matter if it's a past life, alien abduction, childhood regression the subconscious will bring up whatever it needs to bring up. And sometimes it will lie. And it's not always that the person really believes that something happened. Sometimes the subconscious may feel that you're not ready to know the truth. And so it will make something up. And I always say, it doesn't matter what is coming up. It's about the healing. So I, and I always use this example because I have not encountered somebody with this issue. The root of the issue may be that your first grade teacher punched you in the face, but it may, your subconscious may feel like you idolize this teacher, you've blocked this out, and it would be very traumatic for you to know the truth that this first grade teacher punched you in the face, in the face. So it has, uh, you know, completely suppress that information. It will say something and it could say that maybe your uncle punched you in the face or it could say something completely different, but the same feelings and emotions that you had during the real incident will come up during the made up incident. So sometimes it is a metaphorical journey. When I have had my own past life regressions, there are times where I'm like, this is absolutely real. Like there is no doubt in my mind that things that I'm seeing are real. The, the information that I'm coming up with is real. There are other times where I'm just like, eh, you know, I'm not so sure, but I just kind of let it go. And we, we want to take responsibility for whatever it is. You know, it doesn't matter if I've hurt people. It doesn't matter if people have hurt me. Um, it's about the healing work that's involved with it. One of the things that I was trained in with the alien abductions, 
there are certain patterns that people will say when they have truly been abducted. There are things that, you know, maybe we just don't see on the TV shows when people are talking about it, but there seem to be a lot of similarities between, you know, people with what they're saying in these abductions. I have had my clients, not all of them, of course, who have been able to find who they were in a past life with internet searches. And um, I had one that found a picture of who he was. It was very, very interesting. He actually found the picture of the man that he used to be because we got the first name and the last name and where he used to live and his profession, his wife's name. We got so much information and that's not normal. That's not the norm, unfortunately. But I do try to help people get things like that. As much information as possible. What year is this? What city is it? Where did you work? Kids' names. I try to get as much information as possible. And while that's not super, super important, it's definitely really interesting. So the subconscious sometimes is just like, I don't want to tell you because I don't want you to focus on that. You know, it's not important. Maybe the subconscious doesn't remember that information. Um, but there are definitely times where I'm just kind of like, huh, you know, I'm not sure if this is really real or not, but it's about the healing that comes with it. So it doesn't, it, you know, it really doesn't matter because even if with a past life, we want to see, you know, what the life's lesson was, are you still living that? What's going on? Did you learn from that? Is there anything that you've brought forth in that past life? Um, you know, relationships, maybe you have a tumultuous relationship with your father in this life and you don't know why. And then you see in the past life, why that was, you know, what the dynamic was between you and the father. Um, so it can be really, really eye-opening. And, you know, I, I just pretty much tell people, yeah, it can be a metaphorical journey, but we still have to take responsibility for it no matter what it is. All right. So let's get to this Bigfoot experience because I, okay. like I said, this literally just happened. So it's super fresh in your mind. Tell us what happened. So I was at a residential location, top secret, and they had had all kinds of experiences. This was, this was something that I had not worked with before. There was howling and banging and strange lights in the sky and footage of strange creatures. And um, this was near the woods of, and, and this was 80 plus acres. So it was really, really, you know, out in a remote area. And I didn't know, you know, I, I try to not know a lot beforehand. I like to just tap into what's going on. I was tapping in ahead of time. I do remote viewing and things like that. And so I was seeing this creature and it, it reminded me of something that I think I had seen on Scooby-Doo. It was like this electrical looking big monster and it had, it, it was like sparking and it was white and it, it just looked like all this energy and it had these red eyes, but I didn't feel threatened by it. It wasn't scary. So we went there and I definitely picked up on some Native American stuff. And we had, we were in this barn with all these horses 
and we had some equipment at either end of the barn. We had, you know, the cat balls, the paranormal balls, and we had some that were facing the south and they, they started going off and we're looking at them and looking at them. I happened to turn my head to the north and there was a fence and there was a house in the distance and there was a light from the house. And I see what looks like a giant horse. And this, it was, it was too big to be a horse. But what was even more strange about it is that it wasn't moving the way a horse moves. It was gliding as it was moving. And I'm looking at him like, what is that? Is that a horse? And, and <laughs> I stood up and I'm looking, I'm like, what is that? And it went behind a tree. I saw it walk from one side of the fence, you know, to the, almost the other side. And it went behind a tree and we went out there and there was no horse. There was no horse. There was no reason for a horse to be over there. Um, but there was nothing there and we could see, you know, completely on the other side of the tree and it dipped down and then it was just, it was open. So if something had walked by there, there wasn't anywhere where it could go, especially not something of that size where it could hide. And I was just in complete shock. I was like, what is this? And I didn't know, but apparently Bigfoot glides. They don't, they don't move when they walk. Like, I guess it's not like an up and down, like, motion bobbing of the head or anything like that but I, I had I had no clue and they said yeah it it glides and so we were looking at it in comparison to this truck that was nearby and it was it was taller than the truck it was much taller than the truck and it was long and so the next morning I had left but it had rained before we had gotten there the night before. So the next morning, my friend went out there. She, she spent the night. She found Prince exactly where I saw this thing. And she found Prince from like a family of them. There was tiny little baby Prince and what appeared to be two adult sets of tracks. But it was exactly where I saw it. And so she took a cast of it and, and it was awesome because it had just rained. It had just rained before I saw this thing. So the tracks were, you know, easily Perfect. visible in there. Yeah. And, and so I was shocked. I was like, what? That's what I saw? Like, I, I was very, very surprised. So we're definitely going to go back out there. Um the, the things that they have seen have been really, really interesting. And at first, you know, I, I thought, you know, maybe this was some sort of shapeshifter. I don't know a whole lot about cryptids. I've not worked in that realm, but I definitely want to know more about it. This has completely sparked my interest because it's something completely new. And, you know, you would think, you know, this is Florida. There isn't a whole lot, but we do get a lot of skunk ape sightings. That's what Bigfoot is yeah. here, you know, skunk ape. So we, we have had a lot of sightings. 
and, you know, maybe about an hour, an hour and 20 minutes away from where I'm at. So it's not too far off. I certainly don't have any in my neighborhood, but super, super interesting. And I definitely want to know more about it. I did not connect uh, on a mediumship level with this creature, but that's something that I'm going to try to do. I've, I've never tried to do that. So I want to see what happens with that. On our last episode, we just had uh, Rick Rellis on, who is, uh, he's a Bigfoot researcher. He leads expeditions and he has started to use paranormal investigative tools to kind of search for Bigfoot because they're starting to find out that you're starting to like an EMF detector will go off if there's a yeah. Bigfoot in the area, even if there yep. is no electricity anywhere around. Yeah. So it's just, you know, it's a new concept recently that's starting to uh, sure. combine the two. So pretty cool. Tell me about your, your time as a paranormal investigator. How long have you been doing that and what got you into the field? Well, I, you know, I was one of those kids that was very much into horror movies and creepy stuff. And I couldn't get enough of ghost stories and all things spooky. And from a very young age, you know, I was watching all of the scary movies that I could get my hands on. And I was super, super intrigued, but I also knew that I had abilities and they, they kind of scared me. I wanted them, but they scared me and I wanted to be able to control things. So it's like, I want to see ghosts, but not when I'm by myself. <laughs> you know, if I, right. I, always, I would always think if I saw a ghost, I would just fall over and pee my pants and die. You know, I don't want, I don't want to see something gross. I don't want to see something that's really disturbing. I don't want people standing at the foot of my bed. Um, when I was a little kid, I had a few experiences. I, I will never forget. I had a room and I had a mirrored closet and I could see the, the light shining on the door. The whole house was dark and I could see this tall shadow figure on the door. I could see its hair. It was super, super distinct. And I was screaming bloody murder because it did not feel good. And my mom finally ended up coming in the room and she tried to dismiss it by saying, oh, you know, the reflection from your mirrors is bouncing off the wall and it's bouncing off mirrors in her room and, you know, just trying to make up some thing. And I am like losing it. So when she turned off the lights, the shadow figure was completely gone. And I will never, ever forget that. And I also had another experience when I was little where I woke up and I was in the hallway but my feet were not touching the ground and something was holding my hand. And I remember looking down the hall at my parents' bedroom and I started to look to my left, wherever this thing, this thing was holding my hand and something stopped me and said, don't look, just close your eyes. You're safe. And so I, I listened and I closed my eyes, but I remember that happening. My dad was very much into metaphysics and spirituality and psychic work and things like that. And so I was very lucky because I could talk to him about things. He never dismissed anything that I said. And 
so, you know, I, I grew up knowing that these things were real. And as I got older, you know, I, I couldn't get enough of local urban legends and things like that. So when I was old enough, I was able to talk my friends into taking me to these places and checking them out and trying to investigate. And then when I was about 18, I went to this huge hospital in Maryland. And, you know, this was a situation where you're really not supposed to go there, (laughs) but we would sneak into this hospital and there were tunnels underneath of the ground that would connect the different buildings and things like that. And it was super, super intense. And so we used to go there all the time. The first time I went there, I got poison ivy all over my face somehow. (laughs) We We had to walk through a patch of woods that was literally like the size of a bedroom. And somehow I... You know, I'm with 10 guys. I end up with poison ivy all over my face and in my eye. And I just, <laughs> I don't even know what happened. Um, but I had some really intense experiences there and I really, really liked it. And then, you know, I would fool around with some residential stuff, people that I knew that had issues. I would go to Gettysburg because um, I, I didn't live too far from there. Spent a lot of time in cemeteries trying to communicate Um And, and, you know, it was just things like that. I didn't have like an official team that I was on, but I would, you know, go, you know, to DC and, and wander around there. And I would do ghost tours whenever possible. And I would kind of like wander off on my own and try to explore and, and communicate. Um, And so I officially got on a team, maybe like five or six years ago. I'm not on that team anymore, but I, I, you know, I had gotten out of it for a little while. I would still do stuff here and there. I, I was doing some residential work here just for people that I knew or word of mouth. And then, and then I got on a team and I started doing more. I, I have like the oldest EMF ever, the kind that you have to shove a quarter in. There's no button on it. You have to shove a quarter in it to keep it on. <laughs> I've had that thing for I don't know, like 18 years or something, something crazy like that, but it still works. So I still have it, you know, the old tape recorder with the tape, you know, I used to use that. And so, you know, I, I did get out of it. You know, I, I was doing it. I was doing it as much as possible. And then I got, it kind of stopped. And then I started having experiences at my office. And when that happened, I was like, okay, I I have to get back into it, but I had blocked my mediumship abilities. I wasn't able to discern whether something was good or bad. I could just feel it. And when I would feel something, I wasn't relaxing into it to make that determination. It's like, okay, I feel something. Oh my God. Like, this is just not good. That was just my instant go-to because it was something foreign to me. And it was sometimes like super, super strong. When I started relaxing into it, I, and, you know, of course that made things so much better. And, and that's something that a lot of people do. They, it, it's different. So it's bad, you know? Um, I, I started having all of these experiences and it was like the floodgates, of the dam opened up. I started seeing spirits. I started hearing them and 
I, and, and as it was happening, I was like, okay, this isn't bad. This is okay. If this is how it's going to be, I'm totally fine. I wasn't scared. I was having some traumatic experiences, but they weren't necessarily scaring me at the time. And at that point I was like, okay, it's time to, to work with this. I need to develop this. And I didn't, at, at one point I thought I was becoming possessed, <laughs> but I'm a trans medium. So they were speaking through me. And sometimes it was very, very strong, but I didn't understand what was going on. I thought that I was becoming possessed. But once I realized, um, you know, I had another medium explain it to me, like you're a trans medium, they can speak through you, but you are in control of that. So don't let them just do it. So once I came to that realization, it stopped happening in this intrusive way. And so I learned how to control that, you know, okay, I can put my antenna up and allow you to speak through me, but I don't just walk around with my antenna up. I'm not walking around Ikea and being bombarded with spirit telling me, you need to go and tell this woman that her uncle Danny said that he loves her and everything's fine. And she needs to go and dig a hole in the yard. Like it doesn't, it doesn't do that. I I don't allow that. That sounded very specific. Has that happened? (laughs) (laughs) No, (laughs) I'm, I'm creative. I'm creative. (laughs) So I, you know what? No, that hasn't happened. Okay. That's good. Right. Um, I have had instances where I'm like, okay, there's something and it's in this box. This is what the box looks like. The box is in your attic. You need to go find it. And this is what it is. You know, I've had situations like that, but I don't think I've told anybody to go digging in their yard. Um, I, I don't keep my antenna up because it's energetically exhausting and they should not just have free reign to come and bother you. Like I have very strong spiritual boundaries. I teach people about spiritual boundaries. You're not going to wake me up in the middle of the night. You're not going to bother me when I'm in the shower. Um, I hate bathrooms. Bathrooms are my kryptonite. I hate bathrooms. I hate them. You ain't going to bother me in the bathroom. Leave me alone. Um, So, you know, I'm very, very strict about my boundaries. There are times where I'm walking around and maybe, you know, I pick up on something. I, I may be walking around and I forgot where I was recently. I was in a bookstore. I was in a bookstore and I was walking around. I was with my friend and all of a sudden I stiffened up and I was like, whoa, female spirit in here to the right of me. But I, I was more, you know, I was kind of relaxed when I was in the bookstore but her energy was very, very strong. She may have wanted to communicate, but I was like, nope, sorry, I'm off duty right now. Not, not doing it. I'm not gonna, you know, I had to leave and go somewhere. And so I was like, maybe I can come back and see what's going on and see if you need help, but not right now. So sometimes, you know, they may poke through a little bit, but I definitely, you know, am in control of that. And I think that that's something that's very, very important. Anytime you do any type of work like this, you don't want to be up late at night being woken up, not being able to sleep or, um, I've had things come in my room and I've had to tell them like, Hey, uh, uh-uh, you're not allowed to be in here. If you want to talk later on, you know, I'll put my antenna up. I can see what's going on. But a lot of times they're just things that are passing through, checking me out, whatever, but no, you're not waking me up. It's not allowed. I have things that pass through my office a lot because of the work that I do. So sometimes they'll be in the hallway. Um, I'm very, very strict about my office where my spiritual center is. 
I'm like, okay, you're not going to bother me when I am working with somebody unless it's something that is pertinent to what it is that I am doing. I'm not just having people, you know, spirit spectators come in and hang out and try to disrupt me. So I'm very, very strict about that. I'm like, okay, you can wait in the hallway. <laughs> well, let's let's end tonight on uh, the Sacred Space Spiritual Center. This is what this is what you do for for your work, and you've you've made mention uh, of your office a few times and the Spiritual Center. Let's talk about that. What exactly is the Spiritual Center, and uh, what do you do there? And I think you've got some colleagues there as well, correct? Yes. So. I converted my hypnotherapy practice into the spiritual center earlier this year with my good friend, Barbara Bolness. She and I, we've taught a lot of different classes between us um, and, and, you know, led different workshops and things like that. And so it was just natural for us to come together. We had talked about doing this for a while and it just so happened that the space that I'm in has a huge backyard and it was not very well taken care of, but she and I kind of said, Hey, let's, you know, let's make plans to do this. So she came over to the office. I said, let's go check out the backyard. Maybe there's some potential here. And we went out back and the landlord had been cleaning it up and I had no clue. And so it was something that we could use. And so we do a lot of things outside. We have full moon ceremonies and it's about releasing wounds and things like that. We have had belly dancing outside. We have these beautiful sound baths. We have um, one of our friends, she comes in and, and she does the sound bath. She's a sound healer. Um, she, she's just absolutely amazing. Her name is Millie. And so we teach Akashic records, we do Reiki attunements, psychic mediumship development, we have um, workshops on soul contracts. We are offering a workshop, I believe it's in two weeks, about um, you know spiritual boundaries. There are so many people that we encounter that are like, I'm an empath and I can't control it and I don't know what to do and I have problems going out to you know places with large crowds or you know I find energy to be overwhelming and so we're offering a workshop to help people with that because this is not a curse it's a blessing and when you have gifts you should learn about them so that it's it's not a hindrance it's something that you can use that can benefit your life so those are some of the things that we do we have psychic mediumship practice circles. So if somebody wants to come and maybe, you know, practice card reading or practice mediumship or whatever tools they want to bring, whatever techniques they want to practice with, we do allow them to do that. And, and we do stuff remotely. You don't have to be in Brandon, Florida in order to take a class from us or to do a workshop. So we do so many different things. And some of those classes that we offer are shamanic and we'll be offering more of that, you know, later this year, more than likely. So, you know, it's just a beautiful thing to be able to bring different things into the community. Um, I, you know, have searched high and low for different things for so long and, and it was hard for me to find a place that had everything that I wanted to learn about and, and all of the things that I wanted to develop. And so 
we kind of are bringing forward the things that we love to the community and the things that we have found to be most beneficial. So I'm really excited, you know, for the growth of the spiritual center. Um, I do hypnotherapy full-time. We also do shamanic healing work, which is very, very powerful. It, it's so powerful. Um, it, it has been nothing short of life-changing for me. So we, and, and we also do uh, paranormal discussion groups sometimes, you know, we'll, we'll just talk about the paranormal and talk about experiences and best practices and places that we've gone to. So we try to offer all kinds of different things for everybody. And it's so cool and it's so fulfilling and I absolutely love it. I know we've barely touched on this, the, the surface of, of a lot of, of what you guys do there. If somebody wanted to learn more about the spiritual center, how would they do that? So I am on Facebook, Connie, C-A-H-N-I Koenig. You could friend me on Facebook. Sacred Space Spiritual Center is also on Facebook. You can go to our website, sacredspacespiritualcenter.com, or you can go to, um, I think, where's, what is my TikTok? Paranormal Connie. I believe that's my Instagram as well. So I'm all over social media. We, you know, we, we post our workshops on there as well. And if somebody wants to message me on there and ask questions about anything, I am definitely here for that. Um, we also, we did a class talking about the paranormal, dispelling myths and misconceptions and that's been helpful, you know, where people can come and say, Hey, I live in a haunted house and I'm scared and I don't know what to do. So let's talk about it first, you know, let's talk about it and then we can come in and help you. So I've got, you know, a team that I'm working with now and, and that's really our goal is to help people. I'd like to help people at the spiritual center and help people with their paranormal issues and, um, be, be as well-rounded as possible, keep learning and keep growing. So I'm, I'm just super, super excited about how all of this has come together. So it's like the paranormal is part of my daily life. <laughs> I want to ask one last question before I let you go. You had mentioned, you said something a while ago that I've only heard one other time. And that okay. was from uh, a good friend of ours, Carrie Kennedy, who is a pet psychic and human psychic and all that. But you mentioned the term soul contract. Now, I've heard Carrie mention that as, a, as opposed to animals and people having a soul contract. Tell me a little bit about what your definition of soul contract is and how that comes into people's lives. Sure. So, and it's interesting you're talking about pets. I, I bring a lot of pets in. <laughs> pets are very drawn to me. So with the soul contract, before we come into this life, we determine what lessons we want. And it could be like, okay, hey, you know, this go around, I want you to kill me at age 14. This is what I want to learn. So this is what I need you to do for me. So this is my path and this is what's going to happen. So maybe I come in, the person kills me at 14. I don't learn the lesson. I go back and I say, okay, well, that didn't work. I didn't get it. I didn't get what I needed from this. So 
let's go ahead and do this. Let's do this in a different way. So when I am 28, um, I want, I don't want you to kill me, but I want, um, I want to have some sort of like super traumatic experience. So we are predetermining what is happening and it doesn't have to be trauma. That, that was just an example, but we are deciding before we come in what lessons we're trying to learn and how it's going to come about. So everything is predetermined and we do have free will, you know, we can veer off of the path, but it's like, it's all about the lesson. You know, you'll see people and they're seeing, they're, they're getting the same lesson over and over and over and over and over and over and over because they haven't learned it. That's the whole point. Like you have to learn the lesson. You have to tell the universe, okay, I've, I've gotten it. I understand the lesson. Then when you go back, okay, you got that one. Let's do this one. Let's learn this. Let's, let's have this experience. This is how it's going to be. So it's, it's been predetermined and it's super, super interesting because as a shamanic apprentice, I work with soul contracts and we can take a look at that and, you know, we can help people see, you know, if they're like, okay, I'm on this path, but I don't know what to do. I don't know how to get there. We can look at different options for how they can get to where they want to be. So it's really, really cool. It's very interesting. So when we come into a new life, we've, we ourselves have predetermined what that life is basically going to consist of. Yes. Yes. So, you know, if, if you need a lesson in money, if you need a lesson in relationships, if you need a lesson um, in love and, and, and self-growth and healing, um, I very much believe that some people are here, you know, to teach us lessons. Not everybody is here to grow in the sense, like maybe they're not meant to spiritually evolve, you know, not everybody does that, but everybody plays a role. Everybody is here for a reason. And it could be that this person is in my life just to teach me a lesson. That's the only reason why they're there is to teach me a lesson. And it may be a really, really big lesson, but everybody plays a part. Everybody has a role. Awesome. Connie, it's been a blast. I'm so glad you took the time. And like I said, this all got put together in the last couple of days. And usually it takes I know, weeks or you months. Said happy birthday to me. You said happy birthday to me. <laughs> and, and, it, and it took you a month to respond. <laughs> it did. And I don't know what happened, but for some reason I was on Facebook and I accidentally, like you had commented on something and I accidentally clicked on it and it took me to your profile and it said that I had an unread message from you. And so I was like, he sent me a message and I clicked on it. And then I saw where it said, happy birthday. And I was like, oh, <laughs> so I was like, yeah, sorry. I get, I get a lot of messages and sometimes they all get pushed down. And um, so I apologize. It took me so long to respond, <laughs> but it worked but it out. It all worked right? out. It all worked out. Yes. So. Yes, it, it took uh, a lot less time to get you on the show than it did to get a response for your birthday, but that worked I out know, for the right, best. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I get it. I get it. You're a very popular person, and I'm sure you get more messages than I could ever comprehend. And there's no <laughs> way you could pro possibly keep up with all of them. So, yeah, no offense whatsoever. I know how it goes. Thank you. All right. Well, I thank you, Connie. Time. 
and it was a blast. And I'll definitely have you on again sometime because, like I said, we just barely scratched the surface and we covered so many different topics. And there's some of these topics sure. I'd like to go into a little deeper sometime. For sure. I would love to. All right. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Have a wonderful day. You talk about a jack of all trades. She does it all when it comes to the paranormal. Yes, she has a very interesting and busy life. Yes, she does. All right, guys. Thank you so much. We appreciate everything you do for us, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Bye, guys. We love you. Have a blessed week.